You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the Skate Podcast on weei.com and the radio.com app. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status and the For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like Eddie Shore. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, hey, Scott. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Okay, welcome into episode 51 of the Skate Podcast. We are two games into the first round of the Bruins Capitals playoff series. And Bruins dropped game one in overtime, flipped the switch, and uh, tied the series last night with Brad Marsh and getting the overtime winner. What's you guys' uh, initial initial take on the first two games of the series? Well, I think the top players stepped up and responded after being called out by Bruce Cassidy and, and- plenty of others after game one, uh, a game in which the top two lines, you know, had some shots, but didn't, didn't do nearly enough. Didn't test Craig Anderson nearly enough after he came in and cold the bench, uh, game two, you know, there were some hiccups in there and Brad Marchand had some discipline issues, a couple of bad penalties to take, but in the end, when the Bruins really needed it, it was the top guns that, that got it done. It was the, Paul Krejci Smith line that ties it late in the third. Martian with the overtime winner. Uh, Krejci had a good keep in just before that. Uh, Bergeron scores in the game. Charlie McAvoy was a monster in all three zones, had a huge game. So those are all the guys you look to, and they stepped up in game two, and now they come back to Boston tied. And I know that's uh, what Brian wants to talk about is. McAvoy. <laughs> McAvoy on the first unit power play. But no, my first uh, takeaways from the first two games, just how physical it was, especially the first period of game two. Um, I was thinking someone's going to lose their head. Like it was it was flying. But then things kind of settled down a little bit. It was a very physical game, game two, and so many shots on goal. I think in the first period, both teams had 18 shots on goal. By the end of the game, the Bruins had 49 shots and the Capitals had 38. So it just was a really fast-paced game. And like you said, Scott, the, the top players did end up stepping up in the end. You could almost feel like Marshawn was getting to the point in his game where he was about ready to chip in. 
Um, and he's kind of one of the guys that you rely on in those situations. And I know it took the stress off Bruins fans that he scored 39 seconds into overtime because everybody before that must have been just like, like hyperventilating, I guess. So I, I think that the, from the first two games of the series, the Bruins looked, at least the Bruins veterans looked a lot better in the second game. Marshawn, I think in the first game hadn't, like he almost looked nervous, like almost like he was playing his first playoff game again, which is kind of funny because before the game, he actually said he still feels almost just as nervous as when he first started playing in the playoffs. So, and you could kind of see it in his game. He settled in, obviously. Uh, we're in game two, heading into game three, and I don't expect him to go back to having those kind of nerves. Yeah, and obviously I uh, didn't mean to neglect the starting lineup. Obviously, we're joined by Scott McLaughlin and Bridget Prue. Um, my first takeaway, guys, would be the resurgence of Jake DeBrusque. I don't know how it couldn't be. And, look, I, I pride myself on, uh, you know, calling it the way that I see it. And, um, you know, if I'm going to bag on him most of the year for for being a dog, I need to give him his, his credit. Um, he's a totally new player, and this is exactly why, you know, you get pissed off during the regular season because you know that this is in somebody. And uh, he's either a genius for saving all of his energy for the playoffs, um, you know, or... I don't, I wouldn't, I, I don't think that was the game plan, Brian. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. Um, so game one, he comes out and, uh, you know, he, he pots a goal, um, uh, you know, a great quick release off the, off the faceoff and, um, you know, hurts, who was it? Uh, what's the goal? Is it Vanacek? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Yeah, it looks, yeah. Like, it looks like he pulled a hammy or something like that. Um, but it's a great, it, it's a quick release, right? And then that's like quintessential DeBrusque, you know, quick release, quick release. Uh, and then game two's goal, um, you know, he goes, he, he literally goes to the goal line, right? And and so it's no secret how success forms. It's about um, doing the little things, playing the right way. And that's the way that he's played most of his career. I know he's been, uh, you know, streaky a lot of his career, but, it wasn't always because of a lack of effort. Um, and I just think that he's found his game, and, and that is a game-changer for the Bruins, uh, along with Charlie Coyle, who was also great in the first couple of games, um, so much so that Cassidy put him back at center uh, to start game two um, with more of a traditional look, right? DeBrusque and Coyle on the third line with Richie, and then Lazar, Corrali and Wagner with Lazar in the middle, and we'll see how that fourth line shakes out. But that's kind of the look that we were expecting, guys, was it not? Yeah, that's the third line that Bruce Cassidy has wanted all along since the trade deadline. It's what they started this post-deadline run with that as the third line, and it just didn't work at first, in part because Coyle wasn't playing well, DeBrusque wasn't playing well, so when two-thirds of your line is off, you have no hope. And that's what prompted, you know, moving Coyle to the wing, dropping DeBrusk down in the lineup, making him a healthy scratch for two games, uh, moving Corrali up. And, you know, Corrali held his own there for a while. And I think Coyle started to find his game on the wing. And then DeBrusk comes back into the lineup on the fourth line, and he starts to find his game there. And now when you have both playing well, I think obviously Cassidy did the right thing and said, well, let's reunite that line and see, you know, they're, they've both found their games. Now they're both playing better. Now let's see if they can play better together and finally get that line going. Because obviously, Richie, Coyle, DeBrusque, 
as a line has more offensive upside to be a third line that can contribute on the score sheet than Richie Corrali Coyle. You know, like Corrali's been in the league long enough. We know he's more suited to a fourth line role. Generally, when he plays up, he can bring it in flashes, but it's not really going to be sustainable over the long term. So I think this is always what Cassidy wanted to get back to. And now Coyle and DeBrus have played well enough to earn the chance to to reunite and to move back to, you know, more natural spots in the lineup. Yeah, and um, guys, Cassidy said in the post game after game two that he told Charlie Coyle that it was just a temporary move and that he wanted and knew he was going to go back to putting Coyle at center on the third line. Uh, when he made the move, he was hoping it would, you know, obviously kickstart the offense with those guys a little bit, but he got what he wanted. It worked out the way Cassidy intended because he never intended to keep Coyle on the wing. He always wanted him at center. Now, it does make the third line a little bit less big because um, DeBrusque isn't really too much of a physical player, but it hasn't turned out that that's affected the game because it seems like everybody on both teams has decided to be a physical player. I mean, even TJ Oshie started to really get into it yesterday. So, and I want to go back to what Brian said about DeBrusque. Uh, did anyone have DeBrusque as their X Factor? <laughs> no, no, nobody had DeBrusque as their X Factor? Okay. So, he actually, he actually leads the NHL in goals, uh, tied for first. And goals this postseason so far uh, with his two goals. So we'll see if he could, that'd be nice if he could keep that up. But um, to go back and, and just to take a look at how he's done in the postseason before, he has been a very good playoff scorer before. So in the 2018-19 season, he actually had 11 points on four goals and seven assists. He's had in the first year that he was in the NHL, he had six postseason goals through 12 games. So I mean, he was scoring every other game in that season in the postseason. He can play like that, and, and like Brian said, that's the frustrating part. Uh, I'm glad he's been able to refocus and find that part of his game again. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw this continue from him. Not a goal a game pace, but the offense continue because he has been working harder. You can just see on every shift uh, he's made some nice plays besides just the goals, and he's all, he's also come very close to scoring more than just those two. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it doesn't even have to be – just the scoring, right? It's I expect him to play this way every game. Um, so what I mean by that is being hard on the walls, going hard to the net, hard on the forward check, hard on the back check. Uh, you know, last night when Hathaway scored his second goal, uh, you know, bad pinch by Miller. Um, you know, I'm not really going to put that one on Tuca. I mean, you'd like to see him maybe get across in that, but it's a breakdown, right, in front of him. Uh, but you notice who's diving on his stomach to get back into the play, and it's DeBrusque. Um, obviously, it was a play that ended up in the back of the Bruins net but that's the, yeah that's the effort that you're looking for it's not always going to go your way but you have to have the effort at both ends of the ice and that's something that he can bring every single game even when he's not scoring and obviously that leads to success for him and his and his teammates so you know I, no obviously I didn't have him as, as the next factor I don't think that you know he really, really no no one had him no that's I don't, weird I didn't really you know it's <laughs> He didn't really earn that, obviously. I mean, an X factor is somebody who, um, you know, you have faith in that could, you know, get something done. Um, he just didn't show that. Now, am I surprised that he's been able to turn it around? No, not really because, um, well, yes, but not entirely because I do think that there's some validity to the fact that 
you can kind of turn a new leaf once the postseason begins. It's kind of a fresh start, right? It, whatever the regular season happened doesn't really matter except for, you know, the standings and whatnot, like, like who's playing who. But uh, from an individual perspective, he, it's, a, it's a clean slate. And I think that, um, you know, he's, I think that's the mentality he kind of had going into it. And uh, good, good for him on doing that. Um, so, yeah, it's great to see him playing. And Cassidy also said after the game, you know, he was talking about um, how lines one through three, they're buzzing. Um, obviously a slow start, but when you have, you look at the scores in the last couple of games, uh, Nick Ritchie has scored, DeBrusca scored twice, Coyle was in on some of those goals. Taylor Hall broke through last night. Uh, Bergeron, Marchand, uh, obviously Krejci was a part of those. Pasta was a part of those. They weren't scoring the goals, but they were a part of them. Um, so really, you've gotten goals from every line except for that fourth line so far, and uh, that's and, and not to depth be you fair, want. that line has that line has not really been on the ice all that much. No, they haven't. Well, they haven't earned. They, they haven't really earned more ice time. No, uh, you know that they got pinned in quite a bit uh, in Game Two Monday night. So even even when it was like you know, the very end of the game when they needed to get that goal late, they, they got a shift and then they just, it just seemed like the Bruins couldn't get any offensive zone time when they were out there. So can I ask you guys this question then? It seems like lines one through three are, um, <laughs> it kind of changes week to week, I feel like, but lines one through three seems solidified. Um, what about line four? Any changes going into game three? I would at least consider it. Um, you know, look, if, not to be wishy-washy, but I think I could understand whatever Cassidy decides to do. If he says, hey, I trust Corrali and Wagner to bounce back after, you know, a game in which they didn't really do. Look, he stuck by other veterans. He, you know, called out some veterans and they stepped up in game two. He didn't publicly call out his fourth line. He didn't have to. But maybe, you know, behind closed doors, it's, hey, we need a little more from you guys. And I'm going to stick with you. You know, you guys are back in for game three but you got to bring it. I could see those guys responding. I could see, you know, that paying off, but I could also, Cassidy has also been quick to switch things up if he doesn't like what he sees. So if he looks at that and says, you know what, there's a chance here. I think Frederick's physicality could be useful, or I think Coleman's speed could be useful. Uh, I could see that too. I, I think it's honestly probably 50, 50. Maybe we'll, you know, Cassidy speaks uh, Wednesday, Tuesday around 11 o'clock. Maybe we'll, find out something then but you know I could really see either approach yeah I agree with Scott I, I could see them keeping Wagner in or I could see them bringing in Frederick or Kuhlman I think maybe the, the one reason to stick with Wagner would be if you don't trust Frederick's discipline first of all um, and if you still want that physical game because Kuhlman isn't he's the speed but he's not really the physicality that um Wagner brings or Frederick brings. So I guess it's up to whether or not you think those younger guys could stay disciplined in a game like this um, and whether or not you want to keep it heavy on the fourth line. I think if you're Frederick, uh, if you do get a chance to go in the lineup, I think the coaching staff will tell him, um, you know, Freddie, you got to be, you got to be a good hockey player first and foremost. So like what I mean by that is if you're the Capitals and you see that number 11 draws into the lineup, and right off the bat, you know, he's face washing and, you know, you know, jabbing the goalie. Um, I really don't think Washington's going to take that bait. I think they know what he's trying to do. Um, but I I'm think not, I'm saying that they're that they might be worried that Frederick takes the bait. No, 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 totally. So, but, but 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 I'm more so speaking of like what what his role would be should be if he gets in. Right. So like 
if he gets into the lineup, his role shouldn't be. Yes, he should not. Frederick needs to have discipline. Um, but his role should not be go in and, you know, try to antagonize the Capitals with antics because I don't think they'll fall for it. Laviolette will be like. But, but Brian, sometimes you can't take that out of someone's game. I know you can, you can uh, be more disciplined, but like he almost plays that way. It's almost like Marshawn. You can't take that kind of like being a pest out of his game because it just, that's what kind of drives him the rest of the way. So as, as easy as it is to say, just be more disciplined. Sometimes the guy's only effective when he can play that, you know, kind of little annoying kind of game. Uh, and that, that leads you to potentially end up getting baited in, uh, say, if Wilson comes at him again, because those two guys have been at it the whole year whenever they see each other. So I, I would just be worried about that. Now that's, that's something Cassidy has to decide. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they stayed with Wagner for one more game and then if that third line really isn't clicking or is really getting um, – you know, trapped in their defensive end, then maybe, I don't know how much Frederick helps with that situation. You know what I mean? I could see Coleman helping in that situation, but so um, it's a tough decision. Well, so, so, so Frederick, but Frederick, um, he can, he can be effective. He can be antagonizing. But what I was saying was that he can do so by playing the right way. Right. So like if you're, if you're Tom Wilson on the bench um, or Garnet Hathaway or whomever, and you see, and you see Frederick go out there, and you know, uh, stick the goalie in the glove after a whistle. Or if you see Frederick go in on the forecheck and put Carlson through the boards, or you know, hits him with a clean hit. Which one's going to piss them off more organically? It's going to be the latter. So if Frederick can go in there and play that pesty role, um, but by doing so through hockey plays, that's where he will be effective. And maybe call it wishful thinking on my part. Um, that that's kind of what my point was though. Like, there's a way for him to affect the play and 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 do that job, but by doing it in a more uh, like truly a more effective way. That's what I think. Because I don't think Washington's yeah. going to take that bait. They'll they'll take the bait if he you know hits Carlson clean, because then they'll actually be pissed. That'll be like somebody hitting McAvoy. But if if somebody you know were to put a a stick at Tuka's glove, they would be less inclined to go after him than if they put McAvoy through the boards. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. And I would also add, like, maybe Frederick could bring a little bit of pest that could be needed if, you know, if the Bruins have to get off to a bit of a slow start again, which they did in game two. And Cassidy talked after the game about how, you know, part of Martian kind of getting into stuff after the whistle was him kind of his way of, as Cassidy put it, he trying to pulling them into the fight. Yeah, trying to drag the Bruins into the fight. Well, could Frederick be another guy who can maybe do some of that so that Martian doesn't have to be getting into stuff after the whistle. Um, you know, so that's, a, that's another consideration. If we know that Cassidy likes to look to fourth line guys for some of that energy, he's called them out this year when they haven't been able to bring it. So maybe that's another argument for Frederick. If Cassidy is saying, Hey, our, our fourth line didn't bring enough energy and, you know, wasn't able to get us jump started in any way. I mean, who knows? The Capitals are coming off of a loss. Like, if maybe they would want to get a spark too by dropping the gloves early in Game Three, right? I mean, maybe it's one of those things where both teams are like, "Hey, you know what? We could all use the energy to start off here. It's one-one. Let's go at it." I don't know, um, guys. Do you have any uh, major concerns following the first two games? I have one, but I um, feel like you guys might mention it anyway before me. So, I would say I have two. So I don't think that. 
I, first of all, the goaltending situation we can get into, but uh, I, I really had a problem with Kevin Miller's game last night. I don't know about you guys. You know, he made that bad pinch, but he also, he was caught out of position a few times. He's, he left for, in the first period once again because uh, I'm guessing injury. So he was he wasn't available for uh, like the last 18 minutes of the first period. I I don't know if you guys are as concerned as I am. I thought Clifton came in and did a good job for when Lozon came out of the lineup. Um, but what do you guys think of of Miller? Yeah, that's definitely concerning. Um, you know, and I, it, after that bad pinch that led to the Washington. The, third Washington goal Miller got pinned to the bench for a pretty long time after that I think he only had like another shift or two so clearly Cassidy wasn't happy with what he had seen maybe maybe injury is a factor in there you know he came back to the game but maybe he wasn't anywhere close to 100% and was playing banged up who knows you know we'll see if we get any sort of update but yeah I think both games so the first game the Miller lose on pairing I thought really got pinned in and gave a some chances and they were matched up a lot against the Ovechkin Baxter Mantha line. And that's and the, that's, that the was, that's the matchup that Washington wants. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't think they held up particularly well. And I thought Lozon was the bigger problem in that game. He also got banged up and obviously ended up missing game two. Uh I just think Clifton played much better against that line. He in game two, Clifton saw more of Washington's top line than any other Bruins defenseman. And I thought he more than held his own. So I'm definitely keeping Clifton in, you know, whether Lozon's healthy to come back, whether it's Miller going out, like Clif- Clifton's in for me. Uh, so I guess the decision would be, you know, Miller, assuming he's healthy, which we probably shouldn't assume, uh, or is Lozon ready to come back in? Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think you Miller. Can, you, you can move Clifton to either either side as well because yeah. he was last, last game he was playing his offside so um he you know he can be a little bit flexible if you want to keep him in he was making really good anticipations he stopped a few rushes and, and cross crease passes and and you could just he was somebody that stuck stuck out in terms of stepping up and especially in a game like I mentioned that there's just so many chances on net so many times they got close in to Tuca so I think definitely you have to keep him in I'm not sure you take I would take if it were me. I would take Miller out just for just for a game, just just even just to say like it's rest because he's always somebody who does need time for rest. So it, that might actually help him reset. Um, and if he really does have a little bit of a of an issue with his injury, that could help that as well. Lozon, I'm not sure Scott if you know this, but he's not expected to miss the next game. Uh, game three is he? Uh, we don't know yet. There hasn't been any new update, obviously. You know, so Cassidy didn't really specifically say he was out due to injury, but that's, I think, what we assume because he didn't practice on Sunday. Uh, and Cassidy said at that time that he was day-to-day. So, you know, we'll see. Obviously, we'll find out more Tuesday, Wednesday, morning skate, whatever. Um, but it, it didn't sound like something that would be long-term, I guess. Um, If... If Kevin Miller is is banged up and and needs like needs to sit out a game because, for health reasons, then um you know I think that the Bruins have have some some good depth on defense. Um, but if he's good to go, I'm hesitant to take him out just because of the type of series it is. Uh, Miller's not a not the kind of guy who typically has back to back you know off games. He 
he's a he's a proud guy, you know, real professional. I think I think he knows uh, what he did wrong, um, and that he has to simplify his game. Uh, so I think that if you take Miller out, especially your first game back in Boston, if he's you know good enough to play, uh, I don't like taking his presence out of the lineup. Um, but as far as Clifton and Lozon go, they're kind of interchangeable. I know I've kind of gotten on Clifton a lot this year um, for disciplinary reasons. Um, and for Which just, he did have a penalty that I the did. first thing I thought of was, Brian <laughs> is going to say something about that. Yeah, well, the first thing I said was that was a dive, right? Because Wilson just flopped on that. Um, and they got him for embellishment too. Uh but he also, furthermore, he just lacked confidence this year, and he was, you know, uh, wasn't very decisive. But when Clifton first came to the Bruins a couple of years ago, I remember his first game was down in Tampa in the regular season, and one of the first plays he made was um, he stood up uh, Curtis Joseph of Tampa, was just an absolute monster hit at uh, the neutral zone, and I was like, who the, I was like, who is this kid? And um, you know, as the year went on, like that's when we got introduced to Cliffy Hockey, and I love Cliffy Hockey. There are times where he's skating. And he's on his game, and, and uh, maybe it's the, the fact that his jersey number's in the 70s, but I think to myself, um, nice play by McAvoy. And then I double-take, oh, no, that was Clifton. Sometimes when he's skating his best, like, he, he's, he's a really good skater. Um, I love when he goes into the corner with a guy and, you know, the, <laughs> just drops him. And uh, So he, 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 when he's playing his game, and it looks like he is, um, he dropped Ovechkin last night crossing the blue line. Uh, he's a very effective player. So there's a difference between Connor Clifton lacking confidence, and then Cliffy Hockey. So hopefully we get the latter. Uh, Lozon, it's, you know, I don't really know what to say about Lozon. I like his spunk. I like his attitude, obviously going out Ovi in the corner in game one. Um, other times he gets a little bit lost out there, maybe. But I think overall the Bruins have good defensive depth. Um, I think I think my concern um, would be staying out of the penalty box. I mean, Bridget uh, with the TJ Oshie uh, comments before the series is spot on. Um they love looking for him in the slot in the bumper. I mean, he plays that role a little bit differently than Bergeron does, but almost as effective, if not more effective. And um, say what yeah, you want Yeah, he just moves a little bit more in there. Yeah. He moves a little bit more as the bumper than, than Bergeron does. But, no, he's been their most effective power play uh, scorer of the season. He led them, and he was second in the NHL in power play goals in the regular season. So, And when you give them, like, I'm sure this is what you're getting to, Brian, when you give them so many chances on the power play, I mean, they gave them back-to-back power plays in the second period that I did not think that they were going to survive. They killed them both off, but it looked like – but they did score right after that. So, yeah. um, But it looked like, you know, how are they ever going to survive this? I think that you can't keep doing that, and especially because of, of guys like Alex Ovechkin and TJ Oshie on that power play. They're just killers. Yeah, I didn't love the – I didn't love some of the calls last night. It's like – I thought some of them were ticky tacky, and then I and then I see, you know, it's almost like the Bruins. Get, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, crying wolf to to the refs um, as a Bruins homer, but like there there are some calls that go against the Bruins where it's just like you know it's playoff hockey. What do you, why are you calling that? that? That shouldn't even be called in the regular season. And then you see like as the game starts to wind down, they start letting more stuff go. And Washington's, you know, they're they're taking liberties after whistles. They're they're hooking guys around the net, and it's like so you know where's the consistency? With that said, um, yeah, I was a parade to the penalty box last night. Uh, they killed off both of them, and then, but at that point, the momentum's kind of gone, right, Scott? And then next thing you know, Hathaway's burying the, the the go-ahead goal. Which, if the Bruins didn't, you know, come back, that that could be the series. Yeah, and in Game One, the the Bruins had been much more disciplined. They only 
he had the Capitals one power play in game one. But yeah, then four in game two. And like you mentioned, those, those back-to-back ones where they end up scoring in that quote-unquote vulnerable minute right after, that was killer. Like, you can't – I had actually tweeted, like, right after they killed the first of those two power plays because the Capitals had, like, a bunch of shots and looked really dangerous in that power play. Uh, just didn't score. Rask made a couple of nice saves. And, yeah, I tweeted then, like, okay, you survived that. Don't do it again. And then Hall, like, literally 10 seconds after I tweeted it, it's called for tripping. And it's like, oh, man, come on. But um, They killed the yeah. second one off a lot better than the first one, though. Yeah, they did. But it, you're right. Like, look, it's what we all talked about going in. It was, like, the number one key for the Bruins. Stat of the box. Don't put the Capitals on the power play. They're dangerous. They had success against you this year. Uh, so to, to survive and win a game where you put them on the power play four times, pretty good. Like, okay, you've got, got kind of that game out of your system. But yeah, you can't, obviously can't keep doing that. Like, you've got to be much closer to game one in terms of, in terms of the discipline. Um, so yeah, I, I guess, I don't know if I would say it's super concerning yet because it was only one of the two games. So let's, you know, See if they can pre- prevent it from becoming a trend. But obviously, yeah, I can't continue like game two. And guys, you, Brian, you asked me uh, what what concerns me the most. And I said Kevin Miller. But also, I think we can talk about goaltending a little bit in that facet as well. Because I know I'm not jumping on Tuca the way that some people are. And Scott wrote a whole article about this. Um, but he's being outplayed by Craig Anderson. He is so first first of all I would like to give some credit to Craig Anderson who Yes. The, the Bruins weren't able to take advantage during the times when he looked shaky. Like game one, he looked pretty shaky. He gave up some juicy rebounds that they weren't able to cash in on. Early in game one, he's scrambling all around. He ends up like in our living rooms on the Jake DeBrus goal, like not even on the screen. I thought you, and, I thought you know, was in that, on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but then they kind of – he settled into the game really well and I thought had a great game for, I don't know, two and a half periods in game two. Um, so some credit there. It's not like, you know, Rath got got outplayed by a guy who played poorly. He got outplayed by a guy who really settled into the game and made some great saves. For, he, he, got outplayed, game he got outplayed by someone who no, did, nobody expected to play this well. So that's kind of where like some people that don't pay very close attention necessarily will be like, well, this guy is almost 40 years old and he has barely played this year and he's out playing Rask. But like, like you said, he looks good. I think both goaltenders look good. The stats actually bear out that Craig Anderson has better goals against average and save percentage than Tuka so far in the series. But um, I'm not, maybe Brian, you can answer for yourself. Are you alarmed? I mean, I, I get texts all the time. Oh, they should put Swayman in. And I'm like, I, it would have to be something much more egregious, like what Tristan Jari did in Pittsburgh for them to take uh, Tuka out at this point. Yeah, I mean, I saw Scott tweet that too. I mean, but, you know, Tristan Jari, you know, made 30-plus saves and, you know, his team went to overtime as well. So, I mean, spot, spot the big, the real difference there. Um well, I think it was the eye test. It was the eye test. It was the quality of the goals allowed. Like, no, I know. I'm, I'm, Rask I'm, I'm has given up. Rask has given up goals and deflections. Tristan Jarrett is getting 
beat clean on shots from 15, 20, 25 feet out. I mean, does it really matter at the end of the day, though? Right? How many? How many are going in? I, I, I'm with you. I'm oh, with you. in Boston, it matters. In in Boston, it matters. The fans go absolutely insane when Tuca plays well and lets in a few goals. So if they're watching him give up the kind of goals Tristan Jari was giving up, you better bet everybody. I would be getting like only let's put in Swayman text. Like just it would just be full of our Twitter feed would just be full of that. Well, and by the way, I think if Rask was giving up goals like Tristan Jari was, I think the Bruins would go to Swayman. Like, I oh think yeah, it, yeah, because I think they're that confident in Swayman. Whereas, who are you going to be confident in Pittsburgh if you're Mike Sullivan? Like, no, you don't have Casey DeSmith to go to. You have no. Maxime Legacy, who has played like what two games in the NHL. So yeah, you you have no they have option. No, they have no choice. So so here's the thing about Tuca, right? Like. All the credit in the world to Craig Anderson, but the fact of the matter is this. When you're making seven-plus million and you're supposed to be this Vesna-caliber goaltender, uh, you're really, there's very few players that should be outplaying you. That's just the fact of the matter. And I'm not, I, I hate to break it down into layman's terms and, and bring up contracts and stuff or you know, uh, league status, but those are the facts. And, and um, honestly, the Capitals have scored six goals in the series. I... I I really didn't like at least three of them. Uh, if I'm being if I'm being honest, I th- I thought the Wilson goal um, in Game One. Everybody's you know saying uh, there was nothing he could do on that one. I don't know. Go back and watch it. He was very very deep in his net. And when you break down that play, okay, yes, McAvoy has no stick, um, and the four checker, I mean the back checkers are kind of late because of the way the play developed, right? They were deep in the offensive zone. Next thing you know, McAvoy breaks a stick and they're on the back check, right? But you break down that play, Wilson has the puck on the left boards. He slides it over to Oshie when he sees McAvoy has no stick. Okay. Well, as a righty, Oshie is not in a shooting position, right? He's not a scoring threat in that play himself as a shooter. Um, so he goes back to Wilson. Tuka's already in the blue paint, and by the time that Wilson has the puck on a stick and releases that shot, uh, because Tuka's so deep in his net and because he drops down, the top corner's wide open. So if he's out challenging and he understands who's a scoring threat in that play, uh, I don't think that goal really uh, happens. But be that as it may, that, that goal goes in. Um, there was a tip in in that game that was not his fault. And the overtime goal, um, very, very funky play. Obviously, wish he would have had it, but it is what it is. As far as game two, um, the Oshi goal, no problem with that goal. Um, again, you can say maybe he was a little deep in his net, but it's a tip, right? Uh, there's, there are certain goals I won't fault a goalie on for the most part. I did not like the second goal. I did not like the timing of the second goal. You're on the road, you're down in the series, your team has given you a lead not once but twice. Wasn't a fan of that goal. And the Hathaway goal, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give him a pass. So, but the fact of the matter is, if it's not for Taylor Hall scoring and with two and change left, and by the way, if it wasn't so late in the game, there's a chance that the Capitals challenge that play uh, and risk taking a penalty for goalie interference, which I don't think it was goalie interference, but I've seen crazier things reversed. So the fact yeah. of the matter is that if the Bruins lose that game, guys, uh, you're looking at, I would think, Swayman in Game 3. What happens? Hall scores a greasy goal. Marshan scores 30 seconds in overtime, and all is well with the world. Okay, so let's. So he lives to fight another day, and I'm not 
I'm not enjoying calling for Tuca's starting position at all. I'm simply trying to think to myself, who is the best goalie to give him a chance to win? Um, and I can't help but think somewhere along the line in this playoff run, it's going to be Swayman. And I don't know how it's going to happen, but I, I feel like it's going to at some point, whether it's uh, an injury to Tuca or his head's not in it or he has a couple bad games. So I don't know. It's it, it's it's a not it's a um it's an ongoing storyline. People are sick of it, but it's more it's more prevalent than it's ever been. Right? They're in the middle of a playoff series. To me, yeah. it will be interesting to see how he does at home. Right? So he's had two road games um, that he's played. I guess we can just say like mid level. Um, we know he has a higher gear than he can go to. But when he's at home, he does have a different mindset and a different demeanor about him. I'll be interested to see how he plays in front of his own fans with the Tuka chant going on in the background. Um, I think that we could see him improve a little bit um, just with that kind of, I, I guess, not really like a full home ice advantage, but he does actually seem to do better at home. Yeah, and I would also just point out, like, we do have to give him credit for the way he played early in game two because the Bruins did not come to play right off the bat. Also and period three. Rask, also the third period in game one. Yeah, and Rask was really the only reason they didn't fall behind early uh, in game two. He made a couple of really big saves when the Capitals were all over the Bruins off the jump. Uh, then I nicked out on a breakaway. So, you know, he was big then and gave his team a chance to get into the game and start to get going. Um, you know, I would agree I didn't like the second goal in game two. Um you know, I don't know if you guys heard Andrew Raycroft on the Greg Hill show uh, Tuesday morning talked about that goal and said, like, basically, yes, he, he should have been down earlier and had the five hole closed. But, you know, he's, the reason he's up is because he's trying to look through all those bodies, find the puck, find the shot. By the time he really is able to see it, you know, there's not enough time to get down. Um, so I guess, like, I at least understand why he was kind of caught in that position but obviously with that much traffic like the five hole is the one place you really want to make sure you're taking away because that's where a lot of deflected pucks are going to end up they're going to end up on the ice down by your leg so um yeah didn't like that one uh the the hathaway go ahead goal would have been a really tough save i think you you, that's like a situation where you would love to see him stand up and bail out his team's defensive mistake. Um, would have been a great save. Don't you know? Don't get me wrong, but it, it wasn't an unsavable shot. I don't think. Um, so I think where we are right now with the Rask for two games, I think is he's been good enough. He's been fine. Like it, I don't think he's been bad enough that you're pulling him. Uh, obviously, you know, Cassie's not gonna make the switch right now going to game three. No. But he also hasn't been he certainly hasn't been great enough where you're like, all right, he's like he's good. We don't have to worry about it. You know, forget all the swim and talk. Like that's gonna continue as long as he's sort of at this level where he's like, I don't know, maybe a seven out of ten through two games, like because I think we all think Swayman might be capable of something better than that. And Cassidy said to himself, you don't know until he put a guy in there. You know, we could go through the list of young goalies who come into the playoffs and play great and lead their teams on runs, but you forget about the young goalies who, you know, who don't get it done in their first playoff experience, uh, who come in and struggle. And 
So, you know, I think we all think Swayman would be pretty good, but they like, you know, they have some certainty in Rash. Like, they've seen him in the playoffs before. He's been the goalie that's led them on deep runs before. So it's going to take more than what we've seen for them to, I think, really seriously consider making a switch. But it's it's still a possibility as long as he's not quite playing great. And he hasn't sucked, guys. Like, he, he has made really nice saves. Yeah. Um, and he, and that's that's the that's the polarizing aspect about Tuca is that um, we talked about it in our in our um, our series preview. He's never he's never gonna be Yank worthy for a game, let alone two games. Um, he always, for the most part, gives you a chance to win. It, it's, it's with him, and he always makes great saves along the way. Um, but there's always like an ill an ill timed goal where it's like ah like you make those saves but you can't make that one. And um, it's a very it's it, it's probably the hardest position in all of sports, right? The, especially this day and age with the speed and the skill of the players to play goal in the NHL. So it's not easy. Um, but we have high expectations for him. He he's 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 a very very good goalie, and he has he has to step up. So it, it, it's not like we're sitting here, you know, saying that he sucks. He doesn't. But would I would I be out of line? by saying I'm really glad that the Bruins won the game last night in overtime without have, giving up a shot against. Because, honestly, like, where? here's my question to all the... Uh, take take the Tuca haters and throw them out the window because because they're literally, you know, uh, you know, idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. They're just bantering to banter. But on the other side of the spectrum are the Tuca apologists, okay? Um, you mean Jack Edwards? Jack Edwards, uh, you know, half of Scott's friends on the beat, like you, you name them, okay? Well, I, I get thrown into that group no, quite a bit. But so. you're, no, but Scott, I, but but you're not though, because I've if no, if, if, if you were one, trust me, I would I would I would have no problem like calling you out. But I I think you call it the, pretty pretty fair. Um, but I would ask them, okay, take all your Tuka stats and shove them up your ass because how confident were you last night in overtime if, if the Capitals had a, had, a, had a shot in OT that he was going to save it? And if their answer was, oh, no, I trust her, okay, fine. Then you're lying right through your teeth because you don't. Um, I think everybody was holding their breath last night from, you know, um, the moment the Bruins tied the game and we were like, okay, they have a chance again uh, into overtime. Now, fortunately, in overtime, Martian ended it very, very soon. Um so I was nervous as hell. I, I didn't trust, like, you know, Tuka in overtime. It's just the fact of the matter. Um, and maybe that's because of the night before or the game before where it was a crap goal in overtime. Um, but but do you trust Swayman more in overtime? Like, we haven't seen him in a playoff overtime. Right. So it's 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 an interesting interesting question. And I, I think it would if I were to say, yes, I trust him, I think I would be um, being a little bit uh, phony because I haven't seen him in that situation really, right? So I, it, it'd, be, it'd be tough to say that. I can only go off of what I've seen, and what I've seen is a kid who competes, and if, and I haven't seen him let in one soft goal in ten in ten games. Um, that doesn't mean he's not capable of letting in a soft one in the playoffs and changing my my you know um, perception of him. But what can I really say with such a small sample size? All I can say is I love the kids compete. I love how he cuts down angles, and he is uh, he is positionally sound as well. He's almost like a uh, a mix of, of the best of Thomas and the best of Tuca in a weird way. And he's so young and hasn't done a lot in the league, so maybe I'll be singing a different tune a year from now if he gets a you know, full season under his belt. But from what I've seen, 
I trust that if Swayman lets in a goal, it's not going to be because of he couldn't see the puck or because he was too lazy on a second or third rebound chance or whatever. I've seen compete. But look, I, I don't know. That's why it's such a polarizing topic because it's it's Tuka, you know, they're 1-1, and he has made his fair share of saves as well. And I, I do think that there's an intangible factor where the team does trust him, um, maybe to a fault sometimes where they start to let down because they know he's there. Um I don't know. I, look, I think at the end of the day, Tuca's in that game three. That's all that matters at this point, is it not? Yeah, uh, exactly. Like we said, it's going to take more. It's going to take something worse, you know, more bad goals, whatever, than what we've seen. Um, or to your point, Brian, like if they lose a game like last night where maybe Rask isn't horrible, but he gives up, you know, two questionable goals and they lose. Maybe that would be enough. You know, the thing is, is, like, we don't really know exactly how short, you know, quote-unquote short the Bruins' leash is going to be for him. Uh, and obviously they're not going to tell us. You know, Cassidy talked a little bit about how he views the goaltending situation and said, you know, basically, like, he thinks that the team would be confident in Swayman if he were to go in there. But, you know, we don't know what it's going to take. Like, is it going to take an absolute disaster, complete train wreck of a game? Or would a couple questionable goals be enough? Um, but yeah, like I said, we haven't gotten there yet. I think that his leash is shorter than it's ever been. Don't you guys agree? Um, because of Swayman and how well he's played, I think that maybe it is just a couple of questionable goals that end up um, getting Swayman at least a chance, maybe even just for one game. Not going to steal him, you know, the whole the, the net for the whole series or the whole playoffs. But I could see them even just with a few goals, like you said, in a loss that are a little bit weak, they might go to Swayman just, just to try him out. You know, an, an interesting scenario that was brought up to me last night is what if the Bruins were to go up 3-1 in the series? And then, you know, would the Bruins ever say, uh, Tuka, we're up 3-1, we have, we have faith in the kid, we're going to put him in for to, to try to close it out, and you, we want you to you know, get some rest. Now, I don't think that would ever happen. It was brought up to me, and my answer was they wouldn't do that. But if they yeah. if they did, and then Swayman like pitched a shutout or something like that, that would that, that would be some uh, some headline worthy stuff. But yeah, I think I don't know. you don't want to mess with the goaltender's psyche like that. We all know they're very like psychologically need to be where they need to be in order to have their best game, and that would just be messing with both of their heads. Yeah, and especially because the, the Bruins also have. I think really the best schedule of any of the first round series there every other day, there's no back to back and they're a day ahead of at least every other series. So if they were to wrap this now, look, I, I picked them in five. I think, you know, just for the, the sake of sticking to my picks, I'm, I'm going to stick with that. And, but you like, my but pick, like, though. Being, so they're like, winning like, out. Like they're winning pick. out. Yeah. But like being being really honest, it, it certainly looks like a series that's going to go longer than than I predicted, uh, and I think a big part of that is the Capitals are just playing better than I expected. Like they've played some better defense than I was anticipating. I did not expect them to get borderline great goaltending. I thought goaltending was going to be a huge issue for them. Uh, I think it still is. But yeah, but you know, if the Bruins are able to wrap the series up in five or six games. Uh, then they'll have a few days off if Islanders-Penguins goes long, which it certainly could. I think those are two fairly evenly matched teams. Obviously, their game one also went to overtime. 
So, you know, you, you could end up with like a little bit of a break between rounds one and two. Just something to consider as well. Going into game three, I don't believe that they've updated the status of Lars Eller. And he's their second line center. Yeah, significant. So that is not a small deal. That is going to change their lineup because of where he is and how they're going to have to move guys around. I think they'll probably bring TJ Oshie up to the second line um, if he's not available. But Lars Eller has actually been having a good series so far. Uh, and he went out down the tunnel, never came back for the third period, never came back for overtime. So there's reason to think that he might not be in game three. And that does change the dynamic of this Capitals team when you lose your second line center. It's not really that easy to, to kind of shift guys around. You're going to have to be making moves on your third line and probably your fourth line, not just your second line, in order to fill in that gap. So that's just something to think about heading into the game and to look out for what the status of Eller is. And um, if he's not in, what what kind of a lineup they're going to be able to run out there. Well, yeah, yeah, and Eller had been their big matchup center. He was the one they kept throwing out against the Bergeron line. So, you know, look, coming back to Boston, obviously Cassidy now gets to dictate the matchups anyways, but they were trying to get Eller out there as much as possible against the top line. And for them, you know, the, I think the Bruins top line had a lot of possession and shots against them. But for the most part, it's kind of holding their own and not giving up a ton of grade A chances. To yeah, them. and Eller was doing a good job at the faceoff dot as well. Yeah. He's- and worth noting on Oshi and the potential of like him moving up. Well, the reason he's been listed on the third line is because he's basically playing third line minutes. Now he's been super effective, especially in the power play, and he's he has points. Uh, you know, he's getting on the score sheet. But remember, he was injured late in the season, and there was some question whether he was going to even be available for game one. I think it was a lower body injury. And it seems like he's probably still not 100% just based on ice time because I think he's been playing like 15, 16 minutes. And he's the kind of player that normally in a series like this, you'd be expect to be up around like 19, 20. Yeah, and those are a lot of power play minutes as well. Yeah. There are certain players that I, I can't stand because, um, you know, they're dirty, they're cheap, whatnot. I knew like, this was coming. Like, I knew this was coming. Like, like like the Matt Cooks. I don't no, you no, I don't think you know where it's going. Like the Matt Cooks the, I, the L, you said something about LA last podcast. <sighs> then there are players that I can't stand because of how effective they are and, and, and uh you know and how they play the game the right way and Lars Eller he's one of those guys. As is uh JG Pajot. Like I can't mm-hmm. stand those guys, like because th- you know they never do anything that's that's dirty or cheap. They just they just they're always right there, right? Um, so yeah, I mean he's never gonna win a scoring race or a selkie, but you know he's a highly effective player for them. Look no further than the 20, uh, 2018 uh, Cup Finals. I think he uh, he had the game winning goal, for, uh, you know the Stanley Cup winning goal for the Capitals. So he's a highly effective player. Um, and, you know, it, keep an eye on him. Keep an eye on Kuznetsov. I don't know if he's going to be coming back anytime soon. But um, you guys, uh, 50 minutes in, and you talk about matchups, and um, one matchup we haven't really talked about yet or name we haven't mentioned is Zidane Chara. And I think that uh, coming home for game three, um, Bruce Cassidy is going to try to, you know, uh, expose Big Z a little bit with some some preferable matchups. I know Laviolette was keeping him away from the top six a lot in Washington. Um, maybe that's something that they can expose and also maybe get the Bergeron line away from, you know, whether it's Eller or uh, Hathaway's line, who tends to play them pretty tough. Um, uh, how important are matchups going to be for, for Cassidy in games three and four? Well, I actually wonder if they might not be all that important at all because I thought the Bruins won basically every matchup in game two. Like, everything that uh, Laviolette was trying to get, 
I think the Bruins took advantage. Like, you know, first run line won their matchups against first Eller and, and then Dowd. Uh, the Orloff-Carlson Carl- pairing has been pinned deep in their own zone by both of the Bruins' top two lines. And that, like, I, I'm kind of surprised Laviola didn't try to get away from that matchup because, to me, Orloff-Carlson is a pairing that you want more in the offensive zone and take advantage of their skills there. And he's rolling them out against the Bruins' top two lines, and they're just getting pinned in and chasing the puck around and being forced to defend, which is not the strength of that pairing. Um so if I'm the Bruins, like, I don't know if I'm really worried about getting away from that. Like, if they're going to, you know, keep throwing Orlov Carlson out there for those minutes, I might just roll with that based on what I've seen. Um, yeah, Chara, by the way, only played, just played under 13 minutes in game two. Like, they are really sh- sheltering him. Yeah, um, and that has to do with, like you said, they're they're keeping him away from the top six. And they had he had been playing mostly against that fourth line. And that fourth line for the Bruins wasn't out there that much. I mean, he cleaned Corrali in the beginning of that game. And that's kind of the lines that you saw him matching up with um, and a little bit with the third line. But that, that probably has to do with they don't think he can keep up with either of those top six lines, uh, the top six players, I should say, because the speed on both of those lines with Pasternak, Marshawn, Taylor Hall, those guys are a little bit faster and can get in uh, – the Hall is also a bigger body, so he's not going to be able to throw him around quite as much as he's been throwing around like a Corrali. Yeah, and I saw Corrali go after Big Z um, at the blue line last game uh, in the defensive zone, so he was trying to get him back with a, a lick of his own, and which is good. I mean, it's uh, Big Z has a ton of respect from those guys, so when you see them taking runs at him, you know that uh, everybody's engaged and uh, there's there's no friends between whistles and, and certainly not during the playoffs. Um, I think, um, guys, I want to get – I think the Bruins are going to take, take care of business the rest of the series. I think their team speed is going to take over. I think they'll start to, you know, get their chances on the power play. I think some guys will, will break through. So um, – my answer for breakthrough player uh, back in Boston in games three and four, certainly game three, is going to be David Pashnak. Do you guys have a, a player to keep an eye on for Boston? Bridget, do you have one? I'm trying to think of one on the spot here. Um, I, I guess if I was to – I've changed my answer, I guess. But I, my X factor was Richie, but that's not who I'm going to go with. Um, I think Taylor Hall. I don't know if you guys noticed. I'm sure you did. His demeanor is completely different, even from game one to game two. I mean, he's just having a blast. This is like the first time he's ever <laughs> been in a situation where he's he's able to have this much fun playing in the playoffs. The pressure is not on him. He's not the MVP. He's not the top player. He has a lot less pressure on him. He's been just enjoying himself. He's been going to the right areas of the ice. He's been deking people. Um, I think that he has the potential to be the guy in the next two games. But I also lean towards Marshawn as well. Yeah, I'll throw maybe a little bit of one, a little bit off the board, but I'll say Grizzly potentially activating more. He gets involved in that overtime winner. And, you know, we've talked about how dominant McAvoy was. By the way, McAvoy didn't have a point in game two, but was on the ice for all four Bruins goals. Uh, plus four in the game. Dominated all the possession stats. PP1. Uh, I think... <clears throat> Yes, yeah, I, I thought we'd get to that earlier because it was Krejci and McAvoy up on the first power play. Yeah, and I thought that started to look better. But I think 
coming back home now. So in game two, Grizzly McAvoy had to see a little bit more of the Capitals' top line. Uh, and, you know, we'll see if that continues. But with Clifton playing well against them, maybe you don't have to try to get that matchup. So I think you could see the Grizzly McAvoy pairing freed up a little and get a little bit more favorable offensive zone shifts. And I could see Grizzly activating and being a, a factor in the offensive zone and potentially some, some more favorable matchups. I think Craig Smith is another name, too, right? He's been all around. He's been buzzing, excited to be in the playoffs for the first time. As far as Taylor Hall goes, what a transparent interview he is post-game, huh? He he said he says what's on his mind. I, I'm, I'm really liking his interviews and his answers and, um, you know, really talking a lot about Marshan's influence. And, um, you know, he was asked about, you know, the difference between the locker room with the Bruins and other locker rooms in the past. And he's like, well, you know, every locker room in the NHL is fun and guys like each other, but... <laughs> They're Hall of Famers in this one, right? So I, I he's he's enjoying it. And guys, uh, don't look now, but if the Bruins win this series, Taylor Hall is going to get the full playoff experience in Boston with some sold out crowds coming soon, huh? Yeah. yeah. After this series, it should was it May May twenty ninth? So that's that's two days after the what the scheduled game seven is, I believe, Scott. Um, for this series, so. Yeah. Theoretically, I, a second, the second round would be when uh, we could have a sold-out crowd at TD Garden again. Yeah, I think some stuff still has to be ironed out in terms of the Garden, working with the NHL, and also potentially the NBA if the Celtics are still alive, which I don't think they will be. But, Probably not. Um, uh, but yeah, potentially as early as May 29th. We've already seen the Red Sox and Fenway Park have confirmed that they will be going to 100% on that date. And the Garden put out a statement basically saying, like, they're working with the leagues and they'll have an official announcement whenever things get sorted out. But obviously that'd be incredible to see that the hurricanes uh, Monday night had a hundred percent capacity. They did. And, and it was crazy. Awesome. It was crazy to see. Yes. It, it looked like if I was there, I'd be emotional. I'd be like, Oh my God, people, yeah. I've not been around this many people. It's like almost normal again. So oh, de- I, I think it'll be interesting. Been. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's been normal for them for quite some time. Um, all right, well, Scott, I know you're kind of on a tight schedule, so um, do you guys have any final thoughts before we go? Scott, no. No, me nope. neither. Let's, uh, no, I think I think game two is obviously a much better game for the Bruins, and I think had more control of the game than the final score going to overtime indicates. I thought they controlled, you know, pretty long stretches of that game. So let's see if that continues. Uh, I still like them in the series. It might go – a little longer than I initially anticipated, but uh, I still feel pretty good about their chances. All right, so uh, follow the Skate Pod on Twitter. Follow Scott. Follow Bridget. Email uh, Skate Pod at um with any comments or, or anything like that. And uh, we'll talk to you guys uh, towards the end of the series. So thanks for listening.